coming to you live from the Business Radio X studio in Woodstock, Georgia. This is Fearless Formula with Sharon Klein. And welcome to Fearless Formula Friday here at Cherokee Business Radio X, where we talk about the ups and downs of the business world and offer words of wisdom for business success. I'm your host, Sharon Klein. And today on the show, we have a father, a speaker, an author, a TEDx organizer, weekend polo player, CEO, and owner. That's one person (laughs) of Mike Cena Advisors. Welcome certified financial planner Mike Cena to the show. Hello. How are you today? I'm good. How are you? I'm really good. You know, it was supposed to rain today, and it's absolutely gorgeous out. It's warm. It's humid. It's, you know, like I mentioned before, I'm waiting for the pollen to end. I know. Well, it'll be nice. I think tomorrow we're supposed to get some storms or something like going to be in the 50s or whatever, so we'll have yes. the heat on again, I guess. <laughs> but thankfully, we can spend a little bit of time inside just for a bit to chit-chat about kind yeah. of your story. I know you've been on Business Radio X mm-hmm. a couple different times, um, but thank you for spending time with me. And like, I'm grateful that you're willing to even come back on and talk about kind of like what the show is about, the fearless formula aspect of what you do. Um, so I wanted to ask you, um, you have a book, and I thought this was so interesting to start with. Is it okay to start kind of that way? Because yeah. I, I love that it's called Raise Your Hand If, because who who can't sort of identify with a million different aspects of what it's like to deal with your money? No kidding. It, it's uh, <laughs> remarkable. In fact, I want to redo the book, do uh, version two. The rest of the title is Raise Your Hand If You've Ever Done Something Stupid with Money. And I want to cross out stupid and put human. Oh, wow. Okay. Because we all do stupid stuff, whether it's with money or not. We are human beings. We do the best we can, most of us. We we all struggle with life. We certainly all struggle with money. I don't know anybody that hasn't had some kind of problem with money, some kind of issue with money along the way. Sometimes it's the way we're raised. Sometimes it's bluntly the way we're wired. I don't know how to fix that. But uh, money is just it's an integral part of life, and you can use it to your advantage or your disadvantage. When you say it's how people are wired, is there a certain type of personality that just does really, really well with money? I wish I could define that. I, I don't know. I've worked with a number of folks. Uh, kind of an interesting story. Uh, four, five, six years ago, a couple got in touch with me, this guy. And of all, they were in the process of divorce. They're uh, counselor recommended me, referred me, which is was kind of odd. So they were about 58 to 60. He made around $350,000 a year. They owned a Lincoln Continental and some really nice furniture and a $500,000 house that they leased. They had $800,000 of debt. They had 32 years of practice of spending at or more than they earned. Wow. And we worked for a few months to try and change the way they looked at money, the way they looked at life. It was very difficult. And ultimately, the wife was – she became increasingly resistant and resentful. She missed her retail therapy. I remember we we had an agreement. Birthdays were coming up for their kids, and they were – I could tell as soon as I walked in the room, they're like, well, we kind of screwed up. Yeah. Well, tell me, tell me. Well, we spent more than we should, and we had agreed on $100 or so. They spent $2,000 on present for one kid. And wow. Some of this is just hardwired. I, I know another couple, kind of the same thing. Uh, I probably shouldn't tell this story, but it reminds me I have an older sister. 
she's kind of wound a little tight. And years ago, she tried to quit smoking cigarettes, and she was so nervous. After three or four weeks, her doctor told her, said, look, you'll live longer if you start smoking again. <laughs> no way. <laughs> so some people, money feeds them, and that's their life. And I think one of the hardest lessons I've learned is there are some things, a number of things I can't fix, and some things in general can't be fixed. We're only here for a brief amount of time. Make the most of what you have. And uh, nobody knows what's coming around the next corner. Well, let's talk about how you got into the industry. You, you <laughs> Sorry, I'm laughing because I know that you says, you famously say that you've been fired from two jobs. And, and now you are here where you are now. So what uh, will you tell us a little, a little bit about that story and the lessons you learned about being fired from two jobs? Well, I was fired from my first two corporate jobs. And I'll tell you, the first one, I went out to Spokane, Washington to help open a cable TV franchise for Cox Cable. Okay. It was my dream job. And there were a number of things going on. And I, I thought I was hot stuff. I tell you, <laughs> I show these yokels how to run an office. And I realized pretty quickly how little I knew. And I never saw it coming. After a year and a half, my boss invited me into the office and he closed the door and he says, let's have a drink. I said, okay. Oh, jeez. And we toasted to, here at the better days, I'm letting you go. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> and I was pretty devastated. I had never been fired before. I'd been working since I was 12, doing a number of things. And it really hurt me for a while. Uh, I came back to Atlanta with my tail between my legs and got my second job that I was fired from. And I was, thank you. <laughs> I really hate this. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Let me find something a little better suited for me. And I've been pretty much on my own ever since. I have created, run uh, four different businesses. I was in the IT business for a number of years. I had a business partner who was the IT side. I was the business side. And the first 15 years were a ton of fun. The last <laughs> 10 years, less so. Oh. And I started thinking about something else that I wanted to do. And one of the key drivers is I, I did not want employees anymore. It was just a stress city. There was a lot of stress in my life with a number of married, kid, gotcha. all of this stuff. And I looked at a number of different things, and I kind of stumbled on this uh, relatively new field of fee-only financial planning and money management, which basically means I don't sell anything. I don't sell securities. I don't sell insurance. I don't sell annuities. You and I, we have a meeting of the minds. We reach an agreement. We settle on an annual fee. I manage your money, and I provide ongoing comprehensive financial planning. And I found it immensely rewarding. Uh, it took me a number of years to kind of figure the business out. How did you do it? Where did you go first? Well, I started on my own, mm -hmm. and uh, I wanted to work with younger, lesser affluent people. You know, the millionaire next door, they got bullseyes all over them. Every financial advisor, insurance oh. agent, annuity guy – or gal, that's who they're going after. And I said, well, I'm going to go after another crowd. And everybody that knew anything about my business told me I would never make any money. And I'm like, you know, here, hold my beer. <laughs> well, they were right. <laughs> There's no way to serve younger, lesser affluent people without selling them insurance or annuities. And it just wasn't my thing. So I stumbled for a number of years. I went through a pretty long, devastating divorce and finished raising my son. Mm -hmm. 
and there was a lot going on with that. And there was a, a lady I knew in the fee-only financial planning community named Bobby Monroe, uh, lovely woman, smart as a whip, uh, knew her from Atlanta. She had moved to Florida, north of Tallahassee, a little town, Havana, Florida. <laughs> and I called her up one day, and I said, uh, what do you think about combining our two practices? And we talked about it, and we did. And I, I worked for her for about five years, and I learned a lot. And uh, in the end, we were not a good fit. I left and started Mike Cena Advisors. She's still down in Florida doing her thing. Very grateful to her. Uh, there's another guy here in Woodstock named David Holstrom, who I got to know. Do you know David? I do. I've heard his name before anyway. You know, I, I will tell you, everything good I learned about financial planning, money management, David was instrumental. And he's one of the smartest guys I know. And he's eminently ethical. I just a prince of a guy. And it kind of goes back to what you and I were talking about a little bit earlier, the community here of Cherokee County and Woodstock. Uh, David and I are direct competitors, but I would be happy to send him a client that's not a good fit for me. Um, and I think the world of him would be happy to uh, help him in any way I can because he helped me uh, in the first six, eight months of trying to figure out what I was doing. You know, it's nice when you sort of look back and see that there are – People like we talk about this on the show all the time about surrounding yourself with the right people, yeah. having the right support. But even your beginning in the, on this journey with Bobby, right, to be able to have her have faith in you, to be able to take you on, and I think that's like says a lot about your work ethic as well. Someone who's already in it and they're willing to kind of take you along. I love that. I mean, it sounds very um, like you're altru almost altruistic. Let me help you. You help me. We all win. There's plenty for everyone. There is. There is an air of abundance um, wherever you might be. And it's, you know, so much of life, it comes down to mindset. I'll digress a little bit. There was a book I read about eight years ago called Mindset, written by a lady named Carol Dwyak. And it was a changer for me. It was like flipping a switch. She talked in the book about the difference between a fixed mindset and a growth mindset and making that transition. And I was kind of halfway in between, but actually reading and understanding how a growth mindset enables you to continue to grow and yet have fun <laughs> along the way. <laughs> you learn from your mistakes. You just kind of keep going. It's like we talked about before. We're all human. Mm -hmm. We all screw up. Mm -hmm. We all make mistakes. We all have uh, mistakes that we wish we could go back and redo, but that's just a pleasant fantasy. All we can do is just deal with what we have today and move on. So there's some people that seem to be more amenable to growth all the time and have sort of this attitude of, um, there are no mistakes, you know, they're just learning, you know, it's like, well, now I know how not to do something, you know, and it's so positive and such a great framing of it as being not something to judge yourself by. But I always feel like I'm like in a bit of a survival mode and like not really thinking or if I'm growing, it's because I'm like really forced to grow. And I kind of like the idea of being able to frame it as something that's like actually a very natural, healthy thing to be doing rather than no, 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 no. <laughs> I don't want to go through this. <laughs> well, I, I hear you. And there are times it's it's nice to be comfortable. But in the end, comfort is uh, not where life is. Mm. And um I've had, like it or not, I've always enjoyed figuring things out on my own. I haven't fit into anybody's mold. I am not a, I can't deal with the politics of corporate life. Um, 
being in the IT business, I learned an awful lot. But in the end, managing employees, it just became very stressful and a pain in the rear. And I can't even fathom today having 15, 20, 30, 50 employees that you're having to deal with. Uh, I went to Greece for Christmas. I had a wonderful time. I had a friend that was over there, and we met a friend of his who owns four burger joints and an Italian restaurant. He's got 400 employees. And he it's universal, the same thing. We can't get people to show up. They want more money. The government wants this. And it, it was... The personalities, too. Oh. Yes. It was the same thing. And um, I just love what I'm doing now. And like I said, it took me a number of years to kind of figure out this business. And uh, one of the things that has been most beneficial is understanding who is a good fit for me. It's actually one of my questions. And is, who yeah. I'm a good fit for. Well, before we say that, I wanted to ask you, what do you, what do you think um, the aspects of, our, of your personality that make this so successful for you? I, to me, it's like putting a jigsaw puzzle together without the top. I love solving problems. And I've done that my whole life. And actually getting to know somebody, number one, first and foremost, understanding what's really going on in their life, what's really driving them. Early on in this business, I would ask a prospect, how were you thinking I could help you? And it was amazing how many times they really didn't know. (laughs) And this notion of learning to ask the right questions in the right order and being patient and listening – that's a whole other thing. You and I talked a little bit about that when we met uh, a few weeks ago. Uh, that I've, I wish I had that skill set when my son was younger, but I learned to listen much better. And he and I had a, a meaningful conversation. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, I just listened for forty-five minutes and let him. It, it changed the nature of our relationship. It created a safe space for him to to yeah. feel and be. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of the other things I've learned, if you're a really good listener, people will think of you as a terrific conversationalist, and you really don't have to say anything. Oh, that's good to know. I don't have to speak that much on this show then. <laughs> well, you're the leader. <laughs> no. Oh, nice. Really? All right. <laughs> Just for like 30 minutes or so once a week, do I lead anything? Who's your ideal client? That's a good question, and I wish I, I mean I can define it on paper who I'd like to work with. But the bottom line is, there in my business, it's highly personalized. It's very boutique. There is an emotional and an intellectual connection. Generally, to start to have the conversation, typically married, couple of kids, uh, one spouse owns a business. There's a comfortable six-figure income. There's at least a half a million dollars or more of investable assets. That kind of sets the table that we can actually proceed going forward. Uh, I do have clients that have much less that are younger. I love working with younger people. Uh, it, it, it's just got to be the right fit, and it only it, it only it takes a number of conversations to kind of figure out if we're a good fit or not. I've had a couple of folks that I would like to work with, but as we talk more and more, one of the things I do know is I, I don't want a co-money manager. Oh, you don't so, want to be micromanaged for yourself? <laughs> and somebody that is open to implementation of different strategies that will make a difference in their life. One of the things I focus on that kind of turns some people's heads, even though I'm a financial planner, 
and I believe very strongly in planning for the future, I try to get my clients to focus on the present and making the most of what they have. If COVID, the lockdowns, have taught us anything, is nobody knows what's coming around the corner. And I've had some financial planners that we would kind of get into a little tiff over. They do these incredibly gorgeous 30, 40-page financial plans that are minutely detailed. You know, in 12 years, we're going to plan a wedding, and in every seven and a half years, we're going to buy a car. And I'm like, that's just a bunch of crap. (laughs) I typically go out about five years, detail plans. Uh, The rest is a little more gauzy, and we'll see what happens. Because Um, life is so unpredictable that way, right? Life is very unpredictable. I never expected to be where I am today, 15 years ago. I imagine the same for you and probably 95% of the people listening to us. That's kind of interesting aspect of um, business um, ownership here. Even in Woodstock, the people I've had on the show talk about how, well, I I didn't know, like even we were talking earlier, bananas and beehives and how they didn't know that they were going to have to wholesale to be successful and it was just not even on their radar and now they are and, but that they're really happy, you know, so there must be an element of, um, flexibility, I suppose. Well, with life in general, but also with you, I was thinking regarding money, people are so emotional and how do you deal with people's emotions that are so tied? It's been a learning process. Because you're a problem solver. You know, you are analytical the way I think of of how you say you could put a puzzle together. I am. I'm your uh, typical left brain introvert. (laughs) Learning to be more open and you we talked about this, this notion of vulnerability. There's a little of that. But getting people to open up about what's really going on inside their lives. And it's hard to peel back these layers. It's, it is like and have an them onion. trust you, right? Like have them be willing to kind of share that vulnerability, especially when it comes to what they can build their lives on money. I had a, a relatively new client. This unfolded over several months. And he's got – he fits the bill all the way down the line. Love this guy. Love his wife. Uh, terrific people. They've done very well in life. And they have lived their whole life kind of the millionaire next door. They have uh, lived on less than they've earned. They've made smart investments. They're fine. And he had uh, a pretty large portfolio with Fidelity Investments. They were managing it for him. In the end, what he wanted – if something happened to him, he wanted his wife to have something more than an 800 number to call. Mm. So he asked me to review his portfolio, and I took a few days, and I went through it. And I went back to him, and I said, look, it's not really the way I would do it, but there's nothing wrong with this. If you do nothing, you'll be fine. And I think that kind of clinched the deal for him. And um, you, you didn't make up a problem well, there really wasn't one. It, but some the, people would, right? Yeah. I mean, Here's how I could help you and be valuable to you. you know, the, the main benefit I bring, I tend to be local, and I somebody that you know, that you see, and it's not an 800 number. There are any number of ways to get financial advice. There's what's called robo-advisors, where it's all artificial intelligence, so to speak. And you, there's an algorithm that manages it, and it's it's pretty inexpensive. It works well for younger people that have limited budgets. Um, my clientele tend to want a little more than that, and I delve pretty deeply into estate and legacy planning. That's a, a difficult conversation for most people, really just coming up with a term, nobody <laughs> term, estate. Nobody yeah. likes estate, <laughs> some legacy planning yeah. or 
whatever it might be. But having these conversations now while you can makes a world of difference in trying to facilitate these difficult conversations. I spend a lot of time on tax planning. I spend a lot of time on uh, insurance review, even though I don't sell insurance. If you need it, I'll get the right policy for you, and you'll damn well know how it works and how much you're paying for it. Uh, a story that I love, one of my early clients, um, lovely couple, relatively young. They made very good money. They were immigrants from Kenya. And one of the things I loved about them, they got America. <laughs> it's just like, wow, okay, let's go. So their number two object, they're not two objectives. First and foremost, they wanted their kids to go to Harvard or Yale, and they wanted to have money for their parents back home. And we started that conversation from that perspective, but as we got a little deeper, it turned out the husband had purchased a rental property, a home, in 2006, 2008. The economy slides into the abyss. They're upside down on this home, and it's what's called uh, cash flow negative. They're paying more than they're getting in. A lot of stress in that marriage. And we talked for a couple of years about it. And they made good money. They had enough money to actually get rid of the house, put some money in it, take the loss, move on. But they were reluctant to admit the mistake. Oh, man. And I kind of flipped it on them. And I said, look, here's, they really only needed about thirty grand. They were going in the hole about $300 a month. I said, if I could show you a, an investment that would guarantee a 12% return for $35,000, would you take it? Yeah. <laughs> Put it into this house, sell the house, and get out of it and get on with your lives. And in their, <laughs> I will say their marriage dramatically improved. <laughs> How much do you see that of, you know, the financial stress? I mean, isn't that like number one or two of reasons for marriages not working? It's, it's a huge deal. And but part of this is the dynamic between the husband and the wife and bluntly trying to figure out, you know, who's really making the decision. I'm going to tell you, almost all the time, it's the wife. It's the woman. And it's amazing. I don't want to get into gender politics, but <laughs> women have an enormous amount of power and control. There was uh, one of my early clients uh, that I we've been together 12 years or so. And I, whenever there's a husband and wife, I try to have confidential conversations with each one individually kind of get a feel for each of them and the husband's going i just i wish you could get carolyn on the plan she she won't stay on the plan and she's like i wish you could get him to just lighten up and enjoy life a little (laughs) so uh they were an interesting couple i've done a, a number of really good things for them over the years they're doing quite well uh they were spending too much money they were used to making a lot of money, but they were spending too much of their retirement. And uh, in some circles, this is almost a four-letter word. We ended up doing a reverse mortgage on their home to free up some cash-free money. They don't have any kids. They had roughly eight hundred grand of equity in a home that they couldn't tap. They were taking too much money out of the retirement account. They were getting creamed on taxes. So that kind of flipped their world a little bit. And they... I hate this term too, but they sleep much better at night. <laughs> Those are good sort of, what are they, euphemisms, phrases. You get the energy behind them, but it makes sense. <laughs> it, it really, that's all that it comes down to is sleeping well at night, feeling comfortable. And I, I try to get people to feel comfortable about an unknown future. 
And once again, going back, make the most of what you have and live in the present because that's really all that counts. Well, if you're just joining us, we are speaking with Mike Cena of Mike Cena Advisors. What do you think is the biggest misconception of your industry? Or, or maybe even what do you think people are so reluctant to do? Like what are their reluctant reluctances that they won't come see someone like you? There is a number, but I'm going to say first and foremost, I don't know anybody that hasn't been screwed <laughs> by a financial advisor, and typically insurance agents or stockbrokers. And I know a lot of fine insurance agents. I know a lot of fine stockbrokers, but they make their money on selling a product or a transaction. And one of the things I tried to explain to people is Wall Street, so to speak, is no different from Johnson & Johnson, General Motors, or DuPont. It manufactures financial products to sell. And there's a home for pretty much everything they manufacture. Generally not your home. <laughs> and that's where people tend to get into trouble. And uh, the insurance industry, the annuity business, it, it's almost designed for planned obsolescence so that 10, 12 years down the road as your life changes and this particular product really – doesn't fit you as well. It's, oh, my word, we've got a wonderful new product. Let us roll you into it. Mm -hmm. And uh, I get really bent over uh, particularly insurance agents that they will swear up and down, I don't collect a fee. It's a commission. Well, the client doesn't pay me. The company pays me. Well, the client's paying the company. (laughs) And I've gotten into it from time to time. There was, I was at a networking meeting some years ago. There's a guy that sells a product called uh, indexed uh, universal life insurance. It's not a bad product. It fits some people very well. I don't even know what that, all that means. I'm trying to like understand all those words put together. That's another, there's a lot of jargon and a lot of uh, people try to speak above. And I'll, going back to women, there I hear this over and over again. The women is dissed in the conversation. The oh. wife is left out most of the time. And I, I find that um, – Disheartening. <laughs> well, disheartening is a nice way to put it, but it, it's wrongheaded. And it's uh, – anyway, that's a whole other conversation. But this guy got up and pointed to me across the table. This man is going to charge you a fee. <laughs> you were the bad guy. <laughs> anyway, I, I – one of my common refrains, there is no free lunch. Yeah. I mean, the, I, the goal is for everyone to win. Yeah, I have no problem with uh, a lot of this. But so much in the insurance and annuity industry, the fees are hidden. It's very opaque. It's osmosis, getting money out of your pocket into their pocket. And nobody, it's like <laughs> it's, it's You don't even see it, right? Yeah. Wow. Uh, the other thing is that you have to have a lot of money to work with an advisor. And what well, it helps. But that's not always the case. I, I'm always willing and uh, eager to have a conversation with someone. They may or may not be a good fit, but I'm always happy to answer questions. And sometimes it's a good fit, younger, lesser affluent people. Sometimes it's not. Um, I think those two things, that if you don't have money, you really can't. And that's a everybody has, everybody's gotten bad advice or sold a product that they wish they hadn't. Do you feel like now you are approached more by younger people? It's more uh, you're more likely to over the years that you've been in this industry. Like, what changes have you seen as you've gotten into it? A lot of changes. It's um, we went through two thousand and eight. Yes, the economy slid into the abyss. A lot of people got hurt. Yes, pretty bad. A lot of people got disillusioned. 
one of the things that I deal with with younger people is this enormous burden of college debt. Uh, so many times, me and so many of my colleagues, we wish we had a time machine. We could just go back 10 years. <laughs> Let's not do it this way. Um, I don't have a really good answer for that, but I can tell you if you can't get a job, taking on more debt to get a master's degree is not your answer. Uh, there are any number of ways to earn a living, and you've got to be flexible. There's a guy that I have listened to over the years. You may have heard of him, Dave Ramsey. He's made a fortune, and he most of his advice is pretty spot on. I don't agree with everything, but one of the things that I learned from him is your present situation isn't forever. Like if you're trying to get out of debt – you know, buy a piece of crap car, drive it for a year, and a year down the road you move up. And in three years you'll be able to buy a new car. Uh, your present situation isn't the rest of your life. And so many times kind of the focus of your show, the fear, yes. being resilient, you're in a bad spot and you see nothing positive going. But you have to get those legs moving. You've got to formulate a plan and you've got to implement it one step at a time. I had uh, spoken to a different uh, financial advisor at one point about um, young people and how um, I don't know. I really feel that there's a disservice that's done to people who graduate school and graduate college, and they really don't have a really good grasp on how to manage money from the very beginning. What do you think of that? There's been a lot of talk about bringing financial literacy into the public school system. Oh, that's system. a great way to say it, financial literacy. Yeah. And part of my thing is careful what you wish for. There's a number of things that have been introduced to the education system that has not worked out well. Uh, ultimately, this comes from the home. And um, I think some of it I touched on before is hardwired. Mm. And uh, I hope my son isn't listening. But <laughs> I will never forget this. He was four years old. He had some birthday money. We went to Walmart to buy something specific for him. And Walmart was out of it. They didn't have it. But that money burned a <laughs> hole in his pocket. He had to spend it. He had to spend it. And to a degree, he's that way now. So it's not so much financial literacy, but it goes back to mindset. And people that generally have money – you can divide people into a lot of different categories. I tend to divide in people that think about spending money, people that think about making money. And if you think about spending money, you will never have any wealth. If you think about making money, you will eventually generate wealth over time. And you don't know when you're meeting someone with which mindset they have about you it, You can right? figure it out pretty quick, oh. and sometimes you can change it, sometimes you can't. You know, one of the things Dave Ramsey talks about that I love, you know, you're kind of, you're sitting in a bucket of poop, you know, and it's, you know, it's awful. It's your poop, but it's comfortable. You're familiar with it. You have got to be in more pain than the pain it takes to change. You've got to be fed up. And I don't care what addiction you have. You've got to reach a point that, um, what was, uh, Howard Beale from the movie Network, I'm mad as hell. I'm not going to take it anymore. <laughs> You've got to get mad as hell and change and find the courage to change and take it a step at a time and see something in the near horizon that is better than what you have now and stay focused on that. Because there's always the instant gratification, right? That just there this is. minute. 
you know. It, some people can't get over that. It, it's it's a crack habit. It's uh, it's alcohol. It's gambling. It's porn. It's any number of things. And uh, it kind of goes back to what we we're talking about before. You've got to find a way to change your environment. Sometimes change your friends. Sometimes change your room. Change. You've got to focus on what I call cognitive therapy and introduce a new thought to replace the bad thought. That takes work. And uh, I've been very fortunate in my life. I've had a number of terrific mentors. Everybody needs help. Everybody needs a mentor. And typically, the mentors I've had, we've helped each other over the years. And um, you just got to want something more different than what you have. It, it sounds simple, but it's really hard for a lot of folks. How did the pandemic affect your business? Did it did it affect your business? <laughs> well, it did. I pretty lucky with that, and that I, I worked from my home. Uh, most of my clients were fine. Uh, one of the things I will tell you is, <laughs> periods of great stress are wonderful drivers for financial advisors to get new business because people are freaked out. People, Whenever you move somebody from a position of comfort to discomfort, they're going to be looking for something. A safety net. Something that will make them comfortable again. And for the most part, uh, the pandemic helped my business pretty enormously. What we're going through now, a lot of people kind of freaked out what's going on. To me, we're living in the twilight zone. I can't make heads or tails of half of what's going on in our country. But um, what I try to get people, again, to focus on is, number one, control you and yours. Stay focused on your situation. Once you kind of got that underhand, then branch out locally. Get involved locally. If you want to get involved, get involved locally first. Help nonprofits or, you know, become a, a party chairperson, whatever whatever your flavor is. But start out low, kind of like uh, pebbles on a pond before you – Try to become benevolent dictator for a day. <laughs> Take care of your own home. I love that you talk about starting locally because that's what we were talking about before the show. How And you touched on a bit how great Woodstock is because everyone really does have – everyone that I haven't interacted with, I've not had one um, moment where I haven't felt like they were really interested in what I do and how they can help me, and I feel the same. And it's just been really um, encouraging because I don't feel like I'm alone. You know, even even though I am alone in my business, it still feels like I have resources and people. And when I go down into downtown Woodstock, I often see someone I know. And so I feel like I have a little family and support, which it's it's and it comes from a true place. It's not just lip service. And I really I appreciate that about our town. And like you said, knowing that you have two people competing in the same industry, but you really do want to see each other succeed there's like the energy behind that is for good for everyone, you know. It is. This is a wonderful community, Cherokee County, city of Woodstock. There is a, a vibe and an energy that flows. I wish I could tap into it more, but uh, I've really enjoyed getting to know a number of business people. I know the previous mayor, Donnie and Ricky's. I knew the current mayor, Michael Caldwell. Thank the world of Michael Caldwell. In fact, I, I doubt I'll embarrass him, but <laughs> one of my favorite stories, his father – Mark Caldwell did a presentation at the circuit, which is uh, a co-working space and uh, a community center in downtown Woodstock. And Mark Caldwell was talking about how to raise money for a business. And he went through the whole thing, friends and family, 401k, venture capital, angel investors, all of that stuff. 
And he was talking about his sons, uh, Michael, and I don't know the other one, but he would make them stand in front of the mirror, I think like once a week, raise their hand, repeat your name. I am responsible for the decisions I make and the consequences therefrom. Oh, dang. <laughs> and I, I got to tell you, that is right up my alley. I love that. And uh, you got to hand it to Michael. He is He's a wonderful man, and he's very accomplished. Uh, he's got a lot going for he and his family, and I enjoyed getting to know his dad, who has done quite well over the years. Uh, terrific family, terrific people, and um, there's just a lot of that in Cherokee County. Yeah, I like to blame other people for my problems. <laughs> <laughs> you can do it. But it's not very empowering. It's not going to get you anywhere. I feel better <laughs> for the moment, the instant gratification. Um, so what was it about, did you have any times when you were kind of getting into this industry that you did have those sort of natural feelings of, I don't know what I'm doing? Or you know, I think about people who are listening, who have their dreams and maybe want to become a financial advisor, but have sort of those feelings that maybe they don't know enough or they're not, you know, there are too many people in the industry. I'm never going to be able to compete. Well, well, how I, did you manage your emotion around that? There were really two things, but I, um, I've just learned to keep going. Uh, part of it was going through the divorce and trying to raise my son. There was a lot of uh, stuff going on, and you and I might have touched on that when we met a little bit. But I, I felt um, I've never really felt a failure in business, but I felt a failure as a husband, a failure as a father, and that was the toughest thing to get over. Mm. But I had no choice. I had to make some money. I had to figure it out. I twice thought about going back to the IT business, which would have been very easy. But I didn't want to do that. I, I hate going backwards. I'd rather go forward. And anybody thinking about getting into the financial advisory business, and I would say any business, but what I didn't really understand getting into it is how much of it is uh, people-related, sales-related, uh, communication-related. Uh, it doesn't make any difference how smart I am or how well I manage money. In the end, if I'm not able to connect with people in a way that makes them feel comfortable and draws them to me, I'm not going to be successful. And that was my biggest obstacle, was figuring out how to connect with people on that kind of level. Was it just, it was trial and error then for you? Because really, we talk about this on the show all the time, the, how the business is people, you're dealing yeah. with people. And yeah. that's part of why I like the show, because when we have people on the show, they don't talk about just being part of Diesel David. You know, what's mm -hmm. Diesel David? Well, when you get to know who these people are, yeah. it's really nice to be able to identify um, someone's motivation and personality and um, kind of have an energy as opposed to just a, a logo or a name. Well, the businesses I had before, bluntly, we did very good work. We had a wonderful reputation. We really didn't have to sell. And generally, we turned as much business down as we got. And I got into a business. I was naively thinking, you know, if you build it, they will come. <laughs> well, they weren't coming. <laughs> like, where are they? Don't they know me? Don't they, Don't they, think I'm they know amazing? how great I am? <laughs> <laughs> so I, I certainly misjudged that, and uh, a lot of it was mindset work and uh, learning how to communicate. Really learning how to listen made a big difference. And um, some people are more gifted 
on what I call the sales side. And uh, I, I know a number of advisors, you know, they offload a lot of their work, but they are wonderful rainmakers, connectors. They know how to bring the business in. And that's something I've never really been good at. Uh, but I've learned, and so far I'm getting better. I, you know, I just want to get better each month. It's nice. You even have like monthly goals as opposed <laughs> to like, what's your five-year plan? You know, you're like, I just want to have a good month. <laughs> well, I got plan A, B, C, and D. So oh. <laughs> uh, I try to get people to be flexible with their, uh, with their plans. But uh, yeah, I just a little better today than I was yesterday. And um, again, I am involved in a couple of peer-to-peer mastermind groups, which are enormously helpful. I recommend any business owner get involved in some kind of group where it's very safe to talk about what's going on in your business. And others will, we all have the kind of the same problems, a little different depending upon the nature of your business, but it all comes down to particularly these days, people, you know, when I first kind of got into the business, um, it was more transactional, but it's become very much about people and very much it, it's highly personalized. And I've kind of built this into this personalized boutique practice. And I'm not for everybody. Everybody's not for me. Uh, like I said, you can. there's a number of different ways that you can go about having financial help from different sources. I don't recommend you Google it. <laughs> Watch but some a people video. do. <laughs> some people do. You know, Dave Ramsey, Susie Orman, uh, Clark Howard. There's any number of people. They're really, really good with generic advice. Um, where I make a difference is mine is very specific and very personal. Do you find that your clients are sort of your friends too for over time? Long yeah. Time? yeah, yeah. It's um, um, it's like you're doing life together in some aspects. Yeah. Interesting. It is. It's. Um, I, I have a guy that helps me in the back office with invoicing and um, onboarding new clients and stuff, and we talk periodically. And he remarked yesterday, he goes, you know an awful lot about these people. <laughs> it's like, well, I want you to know, too, in case I get hit by a bus. <laughs> so, the, the I want backup, you to be able to offload to, to the correct people to be sure there's no interruption and there are uh, in their situation. I have one final question for you. What do you do regarding marketing? Do you find that you need to? Oh, yes. Oh, okay. A lot. Some people don't. They just put one ad on Facebook Marketplace or what, Facebook, whatever it is, Cherokee Connect, and that's plenty to get the ball rolling for them. But I was wondering, what do you do? Like, what? How do you stand out amongst your, your competitors, I suppose? Well, I will say I have spent an enormous amount of money and gotten very little results <laughs> depending upon different things that I've tried. Um, LinkedIn's been a pretty good uh, avenue for me. I do a video every month. And I had a gentleman before COVID that produced videos for me. They were wonderful. We would go to a venue and we would shoot eight or ten videos, and then he would produce them. We'd roll them out one a week. and Hooray. Once COVID came, that all went away. And I, you know, talk about fear and overcoming fears. I finally got over my fear of the iPhone. I just started doing iPhone videos. Yourself? Myself. Well, how about that? And I will tell you, it, at first it was fine. And then, you know, over time I needed to learn how to edit the videos a little bit. And then I needed, well, I need to add subtitles. 
So what became, you know, five, 10 minute kind of fun process became a 45 minute pain in the rear. <laughs> and I've got uh, a new woman that is helping me with videos. So far, I'm very pleased with what she's doing. And we're rolling them out, you know, every Monday around noontime, I put a new video up. And I try to post some other stuff during the week. And I network a lot. I'm involved in these peer-to-peer kind of groups. I, I tell you, you never know where a conversation will lead. And I got uh, several clients from a single conversation at a mastermind group at uh, the National Speakers Association of Georgia like four years ago. Just one conversation led to uh, about four clients that came in. And it was uh, you never know. Well, I'm going to take away from this conversation with you that um, it's important to not think that comfortable is safety. It's not. Feels like safety, but it's not really safety. And to be flexible and be willing to grow. Because those are things that I resist. (laughs) Unless I'm forced to. But but I really appreciate, like you said, the framing of it as being something, well, that's not where life really is. I've never really heard it phrased that way. So it kind of hit me in a good way today. So, um, well, cool. Well, I do think too, when you're having those moments of um, difficulty and you're heightened, you're trying to survive, like in those survival modes, you do um, kind of whittle down what's really most important to you, you know, because you can't handle everything. And so sometimes I do a tremendous amount of growth in my darkest yeah. times. So I like I like the notion of that because I always want to be comfortable and safe, but maybe that's not always the best thing for my spirit. Well, I'll leave you. Great adversity leads to great innovation. Oh, I could have said that in two seconds. The whole thing I was just saying just now could have been like (laughs) nicely wound up in that. (laughs) (laughs) I like that ism much better than what I just said. Well, Mike Cena, thank you. I really appreciate you coming on the show and sharing your story. It's been really fun for me. Sharon, me too. Thanks a bunch. Look forward to doing it again. Okay, we'll check in again. And thank you all for listening to Fearless Formula on Business Radio X. And again, this is Sharon Klein reminding you with knowledge and understanding, we can all have our own fearless formula. Have a great day.